This is Redefining the Counterculture on Witten Radio. Make sure to check out our website at wittenradio.com. You're listening to another episode of Redefining the Counterculture right here on Witten Radio. Today we are joined by actress and director uh, Luciana Falhaber. You know her most. You most know her from Gotham, but she's got a new film out called Don't Look, and it is simply amazing. Uh, we're joined by Luciana. How are you today? I'm well. Hi everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I'm super excited to have you on today's show. You are a woman of many talents. Um, my first question is: Is what got you into filmmaking? What was it that drew you to the craft? You know how they say the need is the mother of all inventions? So that was pretty much it. We, um, Javier Igomez and I, who's my producing partner, were both Latinx, and we kept seeing a reoccurring amount of roles that really didn't didn't reflect the Latinx community right now, and it didn't really interest us in, in a way that it wasn't a deep, creative kind of role. So we decided that, um, well, if we can't, find the roles that we want, then we're just going to create them. So we start making our own films, and we did a few different uh, shows as well on stage. That is uh, that is commendable, and I mean, it definitely just attests to, you know, the power of ingenuity and just smart smart business, because like you said, I mean, it, it all starts with a need, um, and if you can see a need for something, um, you know, ultimately, you, you know, you you have you know, you've got a business. And so I think that that's great. Um, since you've started, how, ha- how has it been? Um, how has your uh, work been received? Have you had to overcome a lot of obstacles? I think um, there are obstacles for everyone. And we've for sure hit a quite a large amount of them trying to make a low budget film. Um, I think anyone who is a filmmaker understand how hard it is to make a low budget film in general. And I think at the time, also being a female director, had a few different issues. I think now things are a bit different because the time's up now and, and the whole call for diversity. So I'm really happy uh, the way things are going towards. Um, but, yeah, we, we did have a – I mean, we, we were ahead of the curve. We started this process before all of that came to fruition. So um, we hit, I think, a larger amount of obstacles than we would have now, thank God. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you're known for the work that you do in front of the camera as well as behind the camera. You seem to be really, really, really um, skilled in both both areas. Is there one part of the, the industry that you like, I guess, more so than the other? Well, I started as an actress, and I think um, that's definitely going to be the first, the first calling, the first love. Um, and through this process of Don't Look, I found out that I also love directing, and I've had a really great time working on that. Um, I wrote the story for that film, and since then I've written a few different scripts. Um, Javier and I also work as writing partners occasionally, sometimes together, sometimes apart, um, but we do produce everything together, which is really nice uh, to have a partner in the business. But um you know, it's a trial and error. I think we should try at least once of something and see if it's for you. And in this case, I think I was very fortunate to find out that I did have an eye for directing and I did enjoy the process of creating. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
do you have, I guess, uh, when you start a project, I mean, each project is, is so vastly different. Um, when you start a project, is there, I guess, one particular thing or I guess a ritual that you have that kind of helps to immerse you in the project and, and helps you to be more creative or um, I guess provide more insight to uh, the role or, or the production? Passion really drives everything I do. So, I mean, of course, sometimes we just need a job and we take something for that reason. But I try not to do that very much, um, especially when it's something that I'm directing and, and writing and producing because that takes so much work. You know, as an actor, you have the privilege of coming to set and rehearsing while everybody else takes the weight of producing and, and uh, putting the project together. But when you're using all your resources and all your time, I think for me it has to be something that I'm really passionate about. So with Don't Look was one of those things. Like I heard the story and I thought how interesting it would be if that was a movie. So I started to call people that I knew and trying to enlist you know, partners for this venture. I'm like, hey, I had this idea. Would you want to do it with me? We heard a lot of like, oh, you're crazy. You've never done a feature. You don't know what it's like. And, you know, in my mind, I was like, I've done short films. You know, a feature is a longer short film. You know, it can't be that hard. And it was definitely not a longer short film. A feature is very different than putting a short film together. Um, and I definitely learned that with, you know, trial by error, which is not ideal. But I didn't go to film school, so I learned on the field. I had to, you know, try it out and if it didn't work out, come up with something new. I think asking questions is, is always important. So I have a lot of people around me who are really great producers and really great directors, and I spent a lot of time, you know, reaching out to them and picking their brain and asking for for feedback. Um, that was really helpful, and luckily I had great people in my life who are so supportive. Um, so when I start a process, you know, of a new project for me, I have three different projects in development right now, and it's always passion. It's like I, I've heard of the story or I thought of the story or um, I want to write this, and I just, you know, that really drives me. I just sit and write, and then, of course, the process of rewriting takes a while. And then once you feel happy with that, you've got to be like, okay, do we want to shoot something as a pitch and see if we can get, you know, raise some money for it? Or do we just want to find a way to use our rent money and fund this ourselves and go out there and make it? So you just, you know, once you see it ready to go, you've you got to come to a decision, at least where I am right now. It's not like, you know, MGM is knocking on my door saying, hey, I want to produce your, you know, your series. Uh, not yet, anyways. But, you know, so I have to figure out what my options are. And one thing I tell a lot of filmmakers, especially in the early beginnings of their careers, are to just use what you have. Look at your network. Look at your community. What can you use? Who would be willing to jump into this journey with you? And then start from there. When we started with Don't Look, um, a lot of people told us we couldn't do it. A lot of people. And we went through, you know, it was disheartening. Here we were, super excited about making this film, and they told us we couldn't do it. And then we raised the money on Kickstarter, which they told us we couldn't do, and but then we did. So then we're like, okay, great. Then like, let's make this movie. And then we said, you know, people told us we needed to go with some some production company or something who knew, you know, what they were doing. And then a lot of, of those people try to take the money from us and, you know, saying things like, oh, yeah, deposit it to our account, and then we'll make the movie for you. And we didn't know much about filmmaking, but we definitely knew that didn't sound right. So we were like, right. no, I don't think so. And as we did more <laughs> research, we found out those people like had lawsuits against them. I mean, it's crazy. The business is crazy. So what I tell people is like, stick to what you know, stick to who is around you and what you have. And you'd be surprised at what you can actually create. 
Absolutely, absolutely. In, in your expert opinion, what, you know, what would you say is the biggest misconception about filmmaking that people have? Because obviously, you know, the average moviegoer or, you know, uh, film aficionado doesn't know all the mechanics that go behind, you know, making, you know, an indie film or, or even, you know, a feature. Um, what would you say is the biggest misconception that people have? I think when it comes to horror films, and uh, we heard this a lot before we started making our film, is that any horror movie sells. We heard that a lot. Oh, horror movie makes money, a horror movie sells, any horror movie does well. And that is really not the case. You know, and I need to say this to people who are out there trying to make horror movies just for the purpose of thinking that they can get it out and they can get distribution, they can get money. It does not work like that. The market is incredibly saturated, especially because now anybody can make a movie. Of course, if you want a certain quality of movie, it comes with more investment and more time and more financial investment. But you can get your iPhone now and shoot a, you know, and shoot a movie. So this idea that like, oh, I'm just going to go shoot something and it's going to be, you know, it's going to sell and I'm going to make money, especially in the horror universe is not true. So I think that's the biggest misconception. But also, you know, the film industry is going through a major change. If you see on a weekend like this one that we just had the Avengers movie make $1.4 billion, I mean, that's insane, you know, for a Marvel movie. And then you see other fantastic movies like Get Out, who didn't make even close to that, who like was frowned upon at the Oscars because it was a horror movie, when in reality it's such a smart movie, talking about, you know, the, the way of society right now in a brilliant way. So the values of what filmmaking is these days have shifted. You know, television is doing incredible work. I mean, Game of Thrones fan who watched last night's episode, I mean, it was incredible. I'm watching there <laughs> thinking, oh, my God, this is a yeah. movie. This is a one-hour film, you know, and their budgets are budgets of, you know, entire films. So it's it's interesting to see how, how the industry is, is shifting. In a sense, there's way more platforms, and I think that's what drives people saying, oh, we'll find a place for it because they need content. Sure they do, but no one is lowering their standards just because they need, you know, programming. Like, that's still not happening. So what I tell people, it's like, it always starts with a good story and a good script, and then on top of that you need, you know, actors who can do the job, and then you need a production team that can see the job to fruition. When it comes to independent films, and I've been part of many of them as an actor, some of them never see the day of light. You know, it's a lot of work. Post-production is way more expensive than you, we ever budgeted for, you know, in our case and in most cases. So I think all those things are, are success stories in general, just finishing a film beginning to end. I always say it's a success story. Go out and, you know, celebrate it. Um, but going into it, think about it, why you're doing this. And for us was we were passionate. We wanted to make a horror film. We thought it was going to be fun. Javier and I both grew up in Latin America you know, in completely different upbringings, but that was a language that we both have. We both could discuss horror movies that we saw as children and how that impacted us, you know, not only as a horror film, but as part of the American culture, you know. So it was interesting to have that connection. So we thought if that's true for us, you know, that got to be true for more people. So that's kind of how why we landed on this, um, on this genre. But this is also, like, thinking about it later, the way it started was I heard a story and I ran home and I said, oh, my God, we got to make this into a movie. So I started asking everybody around me and saying, hey, do you think we should make a movie? Do you think we can make a movie? And, you know, three of those people said yes, and here we are today. 
That is absolutely incredible. It's incredible. I um, wanted to ask you, you know, I know that you, you've done both television and film. Um, do you, is there one that you, I guess, prefer over the other? Um, that's a hard pick. I mean, obviously, I love both. Um, I think television is more of a consistent work, so I love it for that. I love for the fact that we can wake up every day and go to work, you know, as close to a nine-to-five as it could ever be for people who need that consistency. Um, I just love it, and I want to do it as much as I can. I think film is different because it's more of a seasonal kind of work. You're with, you know, a group of people for maybe a month, and then you're done, and you jump from one thing to the next, you know, more frequently. I like the idea of having a community. I like the idea of, you know, getting to know the people that you work with, and that's really easier to accomplish when you have more time. So that's just the difference. Absolutely, absolutely. I um, I, I love both mediums. I think that both are just simply amazing. And um, depending on the story you want to tell, you know, one, you know, one sometimes one is better than the other. But they're both very, very, very good mediums that you know are just <laughs> don't show any signs of slowing down. Um, in your opinion, the the genre of horror. Uh, you had said earlier that, you know, people often say that, you know, it it, it fails. Um, where do you see, I guess, the genre of horror going? Do you think that it will continue to progress? Um, or do you feel that, you know, it will go the way of Westerns, I guess, after a while? I think the idea of horror is definitely changing. Um you know, looking at what's happening in the industry overall, I mean, I, again, I'm mentioning Get Out. I think Jordan Peele is doing amazing things, you know, not just in that genre, but specifically in the horror genre in demystifying it, making it, you know, what they call elevated, making it smart. Um, we made a slasher because that was what we grew up with, and that's what we thought was was fun, right? But there's so much to the genre that it can lend to, you know, different different allegories and in, in social exploration, you know, really putting up a mirror to society in a way that is non threatening, which is what he did. You know, so there is there is a shift. Also we for a while we were all about the zombies, you know, it was all about the the, the zombies and the monsters and I think again we're shifting away from that a little bit again and, and you know, who are the monsters nowadays? Our our people, our society. You know, those are the, the forces that are scary in life right now. So I think we're moving away from that fantasy closer to something that is more grounded and I think way more scary. You know, it's way more scary to see something that could happen. You know, I always say this, like, I love true crime. I watch a lot of documentaries about it. Um, it informs my, my writing. But I also think about how much scarier is that, a documentary about some crazy serial killer that really existed and how easily it was for this person to murder multiple people, you know, then some some undead zombie apocalypse that might never happen, you know? I mean, probably will never happen, let's be honest. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, never say never to anything, but, I mean, let's be honest, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I think that that's, that's an imaginatory situation. Oh, yeah. Again, never know, but pretty sure. Um, so, you know, so it's, it lends itself to the imagination, which is great and which we need as human beings, but at the same time, that's not what scares me. You know, what scares me is how, how real and how evil, like, real life can be. So, you know, there's there's a different, especially with how true crime became a big thing now. There's so many documentaries about that, and I'm sure now with the act on Hulu, which is a show, you know, a spinoff of the real, real 
story of the girl who killed her mother. I mean, that wasn't even the scarier part of that film. The, you know, the scary part is how much the mother tortured her own child. I mean, so there's so many layers, you know. So I think horror is definitely changing. I do hear in the industry a lot the word elevated, whatever that means. Like, oh, we want horror that's elevated. I think they're all just, like, thinking about Get Out, <laughs> you know, but we're not all Jordan Peele's. But that's the idea, you know. The idea is, like, striving for something like that. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I agree. And we're not all Jordan Pills, but the beautiful thing about it is we don't all have to. I mean, we all have um, different stories that we want to tell. And I think that collectively that's what makes the genre so so good and so amazing, you know. And um, I agree. Yeah, that's why I love horror. I think of all the genres is the one that you can really play with. You can really go in there and say, I want to try this. I want to see how this works. And if it doesn't, you try something else. You know, it's a genre that people want to see innovation. So you're always waiting for like, okay, what's next? Versus a drama when you're like, okay, this happens and that happens and people talk and they cry. You know, like in in the horror, as well as action, like you're always looking for the innovation. Um, as an audience member and as a filmmaker. So I think that in overall, as a first-time filmmaker, I think that was a great genre to choose because we had the time and the space to really find a voice. You know, I felt like as a first-time director, I could really find a voice. I could really spend my time, like, trying to figure out, like, what was that um, I wanted this to look like um, and how I wanted to create the story. You know, like, I, for Don't Look... One of the most important relationships in the film is the female relationship, right? As a woman, you know, we're we're taught a lot to compete with each other, you know, compete for attention and, and whatever it is. And, you know, with time, I, I realized that my female relationships were the more withstanding and the more honest and, and the more um, loyal. So in this film, you have two friends, you know, there's a group of five people, and two of them are women. And, you know, you see them try to save each other till the end. So that's that was what I really wanted to portray for this film is like, sure, it's slasher and brings back the nostalgia of the eighties. But at the same time, like it's not the film that, you know, we saw as children. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I wanted to actually transition to your film. Don't look, tell me, you know, what, what was it that drove you to tell this story? Because if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, it's um, I guess loosely, loosely based on a real life, is yeah, I mean, um, it was a story that I heard. I'm not sure if it's real, if it's not real. It was told to me as, oh, we've heard this story, so who knows at what level, if, if it was ever true or not. But um, I, Javier and I had just do, done a short film and an off-Broadway show, and, um, you know, that kind of ignited the fire of producing and, and continued to create. And it was Thanksgiving, and I was staying at a friend's house, and it was pretty much like anything I've seen before. You know, it, it was in Pennsylvania. It's the home of hunting, and people are really into guns and um, a lot of things that I really haven't had contact with before. So it was a bit of a culture shock. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, there's guns everywhere. They're all loaded. There's, like, game heads everywhere. I was like, what's happening? Um, and I found all of that to be a bit scary on its own. You know, I come from South America where people don't have guns to protect themselves. They have guns to shoot other people. You know what I mean? Like, that's a different way. Like, you have a gun if you're a cop or a drug dealer, and sometimes you don't know if the, the cop is a drug dealer. So, oh, yes. you know, <laughs> it's, 
Yeah, so it's an offense. It's not a defense no mechanism. So that was already a change, a change of mindset for me to have to uh, learn this culture and readjust my way of thinking from my upbringing. Um, and during that Thanksgiving, my friend's parents told me the story um, that he's been told in their family about someone that got, you know, one, the one time they came to, their, to this guy's home and he was dead in the garage. And they didn't know what happened. He was dead with a gunshot, and they just assumed it was a gun accident. They're like, "Well, there's so many guns here. Everybody's hunting. Was either like a, you know, somebody was shooting something and hit him by accident, or he hit himself by accident. Regardless of what really happened, they really didn't question it. They buried the guy, never called the cops, and that was the end of the story. So when I heard that, I was like, "Well, that's really interesting." You know, because I'm like, if I find someone dead, I'm definitely going to call some cops. You know, <laughs> I'm going to be like, let's have an investigation oh, and absolutely. see what this is all about. Yeah. Right. So that's how that, that started. So I thought, well, if that story was true, then what else would happen in this universe? So for a second, we had somebody who did die in a garage in the script, and then we changed that. And, you know, we, we explored this family history. The film has some, some uh, backstory about family history. Um, and it's all like trying to kind of find this mystery, discover, uncover this mystery of what really happened to this family. So that's, that's where the idea came from. I love it. I love it. What did you enjoy most about this film, just creating this film and, and, and bringing it to life? It's hard. I mean, every part of the process is so different. Um, I definitely love shooting it. I mean, that was, it's always the most fun because you get to be out there and, you know, with your friends, but that also has also like other issues with that because some people turn out not to be very much, very much of your friends, and 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 then you have other issues because you're all confined into this space for 15 days, and you know we, we used to joke we're like oh this is like a film sweatshop we're all just like sharing beds and sleeping on the floor, um, so there was some of that that comes with good and bad, but I, it's hard every I remember I remember like my favorite part of shooting was the day that we got to burn down this barn. You know, we were all super excited. We couldn't wait to burn this down. And when we did the scheduling, we're like, okay, this is going to be a lot of work. This is going to be, like, obviously an exciting day, and we probably can't shoot anything after it. So we intentionally left it till the last day. And that was our martini shot. So by far, that was my most exciting time. Like, I, you know, we were all high-fiving, and this thing is burning down. And, you know, we're telling, like, I'm telling my DP, run, get in there, get the fire. And, you know, Javier's like, no, it's dangerous, don't do it. You know, it was really funny. We were all just, like, <laughs> just having the feeling, I think, that the burning of that house was kind of like a metaphor for how we were feeling, you know, like that we actually got to the end of this. Kickstarter, I mean, between developing the script, that was a year, and then Kickstarter was another six months. Like, it was so hard, so much work. So, And then we got to the shooting, and obviously so many things went wrong. We didn't have enough money for anything. We, we would drive around from from farm to farm because we were in Pennsylvania asking to borrow generators and other things. And can we borrow your, you know, your cherry picker? Can we borrow your truck? Can you... You know, and the community was amazing. They're like, of course, come by. Here's the keys. Bring it back whenever. And we're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Um, so that was a really like a, a sense of completion. That was really nice. Um, so I remember that day clearly. Like That was definitely my favorite day of shooting. And then you get into post-production, and that's just like 
it's exciting and at the same time it's just exhausting you know it's exciting because you see how as you edit you piece this thing together you know and you know like people say the film is written three times when it's written when it's shot and when it's edited and you really see how it changes you know throughout the edit and that's really exciting but it's also so time consuming and it's you know, one of those processes that you're like, I wish it was faster. I wish there was a, like a quicker solution, but there isn't. You just have to sit through it and you just have to like pick frame by frame and put it together. So, you know, and now, of course, it's a great time because now we get to talk about it. We get to share with our friends. Like I keep counting the days until we're holding the DVD and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I made this. Um, you know, so it has it, every step has its own good things and obviously also bad things. But, um it's all different. Absolutely. This, this might sound like a silly question, but are looking back at everything now, are you pleased with the outcome of the film? Is there anything that you would have done differently? Oh, I would have done everything differently. <laughs> as a filmmaker, <laughs> you always, you know, you always want it to be the best as it can be. And it gets to a point, in, you know, one of my friends who was a producer was like, you have to stop. You have to stop editing. You have to stop revising. You have to stop reshooting. Like, you just have to stop because it's not going to be the perfect film. You know, there has been no project since, you know, or then that I have done as a producer, director, and writer beginning to end that I look back and I'm like, ah, oh, I wish I'd done, or I wish I had more, or I wish I thought of this. You know, there's always something. Um, I'm working on a series that I wrote now and we just shot the pilot and it's the same thing. I'm looking at it now like it's great. It's a great pilot. I'm really happy with it. But I'm also like, you know, I wish I would pick it a different place. And I wish like, you know, so you start to think about how other ways it could have been better, even though it's great. You know, I think it's just a, a sense of being a filmmaker and trying to make the best work that you can do and try to put out what's the best of you into the world. Um, so I, I'm pretty pretty sure that as a filmmaker and as an actress, I will forever be like, oh, I could have done better. I want to do more. Can I do it again? You know, you always want to do your best and show your best. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I just got to have time for two more questions. I, I know you have to go. Um, but uh, so Gotham is actually coming. The series is coming to a close, um, coming to an end. And I know that you um, spent some time, you know, working on Gotham. Um, what did, how did it feel, I guess, being a part of the series and just working on, I guess, something that, you know, now most people will say is pretty iconic? Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful series. I think in terms of uh, the way it's shot, it has so much style. Um, it looks a lot like a film, you know, it has so many nuances and so much darkness and light and, and deep characters. Um, the people I worked with were fantastic. Everybody in the show was amazing. You know, the, the people behind the scenes were amazing. Uh, you know, as a filmmaker, I'm always, not only when you're on set as an actor, you know, you do appreciate everyone, you appreciate every position, you appreciate the person who comes and offers you coffee, you know, because you think about, like, all the times that I had just like forgot to eat because I didn't have time and I didn't think about it, you know. So it's it's really nice when you have that um, appreciation for not only your job but everybody else's job. And in a show like Gotham, that was a, a daily, you know, occurrence. Everybody was so dedicated. Um, and I think what really makes the series are the fans. You know, the people who work on that show um, are incredible, but the people who support it really love it. They really post about it. 
as the series ended, I, you know, I played a reporter, which wasn't even a, a main role, but people are so responsive and they send me messages and pictures. I'm like, oh my God, I saw you. It's, like, it's really exciting, <laughs> you know. I think as a, as a community, Gotham is, is really great. Um, there are other shows that kind of have the same vibe, you know, um, like Game of Thrones, obviously. Like the fans are really passionate about it. So oh, I think some series, yeah, you get lucky. I definitely think Gotham will go down in history as one of those series. I love it. I love it. Um, my last two questions are um, uh, on the well, on the subject of legacy. Um, what's the biggest takeaway that you want people to get from the work that you've done, um, just in front of the camera and behind the camera? You've you've immersed yourself and you've you've truly made this your lifestyle. Um, and I, I love what you um, have done for um, just the industry as a whole. I mean, you saw a need and you, you filled it. Um, what's the biggest takeaway that you want people to get from your, your body of work when they look at it, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now? Um, I think the biggest thing for me is just that they look at me and they say, that girl's pretty brave. You know, like she didn't take no for an answer. She just kept at it, regardless of what people said, what they did, what they didn't do, you know, because at the end of the day, like, when you do the art that you love, like, you do it for yourself. Of course, you can say, like, I want to change the world, and, you know, Javier and I, with the writing and the stuff that we're making, we want to make an impact in the Latinx community, and we want to give people opportunity, you know, we want to portray our generation in the correct way. But at the same time, we're doing that because we need to do that, because we believe that that's the way to give back, that that's the way to make a change and a difference. So it always starts with what you need. So looking looking to the future, 30 and 40 years from now, like the one thing that I wanted to do my legacy was she was unstoppable, regardless of what their opinions are, right, good or bad or, or you know, high art or lowbrow or whatever. Like the point is I'm doing it. You know, and when people ask me for the advice, like to young filmmakers or whatever, I always say, ignore everyone that tells you you can't do it. If they say that, you walk away. That's it. You smile and you walk away. You know, I learned to do that because otherwise you just stop. It's like, you know, that, that quote that says, you got to be in the arena. You know, you got to be willing to play the game. And there's a lot of people outside the arena criticizing those who are trying. So you have to pay attention to who is saying what and only listen when you think it's constructive and helpful. You know, and there's a lot of people that just gave up on their own thing who are just trying to convince you not to do your own. So, you know, there's a lot of that. So you just have to be really determined and know what you want to do for you and go after that. And hopefully what you want to do for you is to make a change, and that will impact everybody else, right? It's like the domino effect. I love it. I love it. That is some amazing, amazing advice. Um, that's some amazing life advice as well. Um, I wanted to just say thank you so much for um, joining me on today's show. And um, I wanted to, um, for our listening audience, I was wondering, um, do you do social media? How can our listeners follow you on social media? Yes, I do. I'm only on Instagram. I really don't use anything else. Um, so you can find me on Instagram. It's my name next to the word official. So it's Luciana Fauhaber official. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm all out of questions, but I wanted to just open the floor to you. If there's anything else you'd like to say to our listening audience. Just thank you. You know, thanks for the support um, for my work throughout 
everything that I've done from Gotham to Shades of Blue to Grey's Anatomy. I get a lot of people who uh, message me about that. I'm so grateful, so, so grateful. That makes the work even better. Um, and I hope you guys support Don't Look. That's my, my next venture. It's going to be out May 14th, and I hope you get your copy. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you for having me. It was a great time talking to you. Likewise, likewise. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Guys, that was our exclusive interview with Luciana Falhaber. You can uh, check out the link to this, um, me, to her Instagram. We'll put it in the body of this post. If you're listening to us on SoundCloud, go ahead, ahead and hit the subscribe button. Uh, we're also available for um, Apple users. If you have an Apple product of any kind, an iPad, iPhone, MacBook, or anything of the sort, you can uh, listen to this episode by going to the iTunes store, searching for our name, uh, search Redefining the Counterculture, and you'll hear this interview with uh, Luciana. Uh, we're also available for Android users. If you have an Android phone or an Android device, you can listen to us by going to the Google Play, Play Store, search our name. Uh, once you search our name, you can download the episode. Uh, and last but not least, we're available on Roku. If you've got a Roku player or a smart television, you can watch this interview right in the privacy of your own home. We've got over 200-plus hours of original content programming and interviews uh, all free of charge uh, from the Roku Channel Store. Just search for our name. Uh, once you search for our name, you can download the app and begin streaming all free of charge. And don't forget, we're uh, on YouTube. Search uh, Witten Radio on YouTube, and uh, you'll see this interview. Hit the subscribe button. We love to hear from you guys. Thank you so much, Luciana. Of course. Thank you. I hope uh, it was informative and helpful. Absolutely. It definitely was. <laughs> okay, good. I'm always like, hey, I know. I hope I, I can contribute in some way. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a good day. You as well. <laughs> Bye.